Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for part two of our Panthers Manly preseason Supercoach episode. Got Mikey from the Supercoach Experience on this one, Michael Attard. And we had a great discussion on the Penrith Panthers in part one. If you started this one, forgot to start at that one, go and start at the Penrith Panthers one. It was a fantastic one. But this episode, it's part two. So we're going to continue on the conversation with me and Mikey from the Supercoach Experience we're going to jump on board the Manly Seagulls, preview their season, have a look at it, and see what Supercoach Gold they've got to offer. So let's get into it. So Manly, having a look at their team for this year, I'm I'm a bit in two minds. We've obviously got Seabold coming in as coach, and I'd argue he's probably the biggest in. Um, the Des Hasler reign was was long, and he definitely left his imprint on that Manly side. So you sort of wonder what a different team we're going to see under Seabold, who was obviously pretty unsuccessful in the Brisbane Broncos before leaving there. With the gains and losses, they haven't really gained too much. Uh, I think Tuolungi from the West Tigers is going to be one of the biggest ones because he's going to start in that back row spot. And maybe Ben Condor might get some time. Um, Cooper Johns is going to play now that we've learned that uh, Schuster's going to be out for the early rounds. Their losses haven't really lost anything massive. A lot of them were sort of older guys that have sort of done what they could for Manly and are on the downward spiral now, like Marty Tapao, Kieran Foran, uh, Jorge Tafua, Dylan Walker as well, uh, Andrew Davey. I think largely they're probably about where they were, mate, but I guess the big question is it's not a gain or loss, but Turbo has been out of that side most of last season. Does Turbo actually stick around in this team, do we actually see him not being hurt? And do we see Seabold maybe changing Manly's game plan a little bit to focus on attack? Yeah, it's 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 a great point. Um, it's tough to know how Manly's going to go and they can play so well one week and then the next week, it's, you know, absolutely a dog's breakfast. And we've we've learned it. It's, you know, this team has usually around the around Tom Trevojevic, like, you know, uh, while he's on, you know, you know, they can be a the quality of a top four side and, I kind of have him at the cast of my top eight at this stage, as I think we'll have a bit of a bounce back from Tom Trevojevic. And that season where he won the Dalliam and went absolutely on fire, you know what I mean? They went they went great. And I think, you know, surely by now, with the amount of times that Tom is out, that this Manly pack have started to get better and learn how to play without him. And I thought a lot of games last year, they actually did quite well without him. But are they going to be able to do that, you know, Tom, enter Tom back now? Is that going to improve their game? Or is it going to kind of take them two steps backwards? So um, it's it's tough to know what you're going to get. And this is another side that's got an early buy round. They've got a buy round in round two. So it makes it tough yet again. Yeah, it does. And like looking at the draw, like my second fullback spot, I consider Tom Trevojevic. He's the first gun that we're going to talk about. But one of the reasons that I decided to go away from him is because of that draw. Uh, the first thing was if you've got Teddy and Turbo, two out of those first four games, you're only going to have one fullback that you can play. That is such a big disadvantage. Like you can cop one guy having a rest in your fullback spot, but to have two of them in the first month, it's quite a few points. Uh, and the second thing is that aside from the round two bye, you know, they start off pretty well with the Bulldogs, even though the Bulldogs are improved, that still could have some points in it. 
And they do have the first um, two games at home, so round one and three, the Bulldogs and the Eels. But when you just look at the teams, you know, they come out of that round two bye. They play the Eels, they play the Rabbits, they get some reprieve against the Knights, which you go, oh, I'm scared about that one because there's no turbo. And then they hit the Panthers and the Storm, and then they hit a nice patch of three games. So it's kind of that round eight onwards that I'm I'm interested in for their draw. Yeah, hundred hundred percent, and especially the fact that um they played the round thirteen by as well. So, uh, you know, probably not going to be dependent when we talk about Tom. But yeah, the draw, as you said, it's a little bit of a roller coaster. Uh, but at the same time, a good point about the Tom and um. Teddy, I currently have that as my fullback combo, but at the same time, I guess that's where it's going to be won and lost. And I guess the positive news is after round four is done, if they don't go down with an injury, that's both your gun fullbacks done and you can pump on and I won't have to waste some trades in that position. So I guess that tactic is going to have a huge point on, you know, on most people's seasons, but he just comes in at a really juicy price at 577,000 and, the last time he was underpriced, look at the season that he had. It's very true. And one of the things that uh, kind of hides itself in the Manly draw, I think it's an average to below average draw. I definitely don't think it's above, above average or strong. But out of their first 11 rounds, one of them's a buy. So out of their first 10 games, they're playing seven of those games at Manly. That, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, hundred percent. That's 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 a massive for them too. Uh, they love to play at uh, you know their home ground, and especially with Tom, you know you know how big his scores are when he plays there. So, to be honest, with people like Tedesco and the fact that he's playing the Dolphins in round one, you know he could be a real sneaky VC or or even a captain's two choice if um, you know it's it's getting harder and harder with Tom because you just really want to see him get some match fitness and. You know, I was very unsure if we were going to rock up in round one with him playing. I was still unsure, but all the mail has said that he will play round one. Mm. I really thought with that buy in round two that we were going to see Tom start in round three and then you were going to have to navigate away to him. So I'm, I'm glad that he's playing because you don't want 35% of owners jumping off, <laughs> um, especially if you're not going to have Tom. Like you sort of, you prefer people to stay on him and you're going to bank on him not going well round one. But you, you know where I think it's a real safety net for Tom and we're just going to focus on the players now and go off the draw because Tom's the first one to talk about, obviously. The great thing is, even if he goes well, like say he throws up a 95 in round one, all those owners don't have him in round two. So you're still going to be able to kind of bridge some of that gap because he's not going to be playing in round two, right? So I think that gives him a little bit of a safety net for the non-owners. At 35%, he's pretty reasonably owned. The price is a big thing, right? If he wasn't 577000 I think... A, a large percentage of those owners would jump off, but five hundred seventy-seven thousand. You know, he's priced on a sixty-one average, and he's got a discount as well because of the games he's played and his injuries. He's only gone seven games last year, fifteen the year before, seven games the year before that, twelve games the year before that. Yeah, he's barely got two full seasons between the last four. And even last year, one of the things that I think is a bit of a misconception, like, and, and I don't mean to downplay Tom Mikey because Tom is a god. But that 2021 season was 143 points a game. It is absolutely ridiculous. All of his other seasons are 67, 77, 74. Uh, And if you look at what he did last year, his scores were not great when he wasn't injured. He went in the first month of the season, all 80-minute games. He scored two tries and he still went 62, 39, 66 and 87. So he was um, struggling to, to get to mid-60s on an average for the first month. And that included a couple of good matchups, including the Bulldogs at home, where he scored a try and still only scored 66 points and heaps of people captained him. 
Uh, even after that, you know, West Tigers, 78 points, one of the best matchups you could have last year. 23 points in 80 minutes versus the Broncos at home at Manly. Uh, 72 points against the Eels, pretty solid. He didn't blow away with the scores last year, even when he was healthy. Um, and I think that that can give some hope to non-owners that uh, that maybe he, he's going to come out and be good and healthy, but he's not going to just blow it away. And I don't think that we can expect anything near a 2021 season. And he's you know, he's even not really had those Teddy seasons of averaging 80 plus aside from his outlier year, you know, 74, 77, 67, 61. That's four of his last five seasons. So that's my argument against Tommy. Um, but I think that he's a good option because the price brings him right into it. So like I said, Mikey, I was considering Tom. He was It was always for my second fullback spot. I certainly think Tedesco's ahead of him, and I certainly think for the price, so he's huge value. So I wouldn't talk any of the 35% out of him. I think he's a, he's a good option. Uh, I just think for myself, or my personal strategy is with the round two buy um, and with some of those early games, I think it's easier to target him a little bit later after we get a look at his health. And if he's not going you know, phenomenal, I'm happy to pay 100 grand more and just hit on that that run that he's got with the Tigers starting in round eight after he plays the Panthers in the Storm. You know, I just sort of think that there's going to be some sweet spots to get him in that are a bit safer, despite the value. Yeah, fair call to me. We mentioned, uh, you said earlier, that you think, you know, Nate, uh, Nate, uh, Hines is probably like number one super coach for me. Tommy Turbo, fully fit Tommy Turbo would take the gold medal for me. And, um, you know, that 2021 season was maybe a bit of an outlier, but... To me, he's just way too scary not to own. Last year, I didn't take the risk with him at the start because of the injuries. He got injured. It worked out then. But the season before, when you come in cheap and you took the risk and basically everyone that didn't take that risk was scrambling to get him in. Yes, we're going to deal with buys this season. But, you know, Bulldogs showed one thing on the weekend that they're still going to leak a lot of points. And he he, he loves to have a big day out against the Bulldogs. And... You know, I'm I'm banking him to to start pretty big. Um, I just think you know I'm a bit. Sometimes I'm a bit textbook, and maybe this is a season where I need to adapt. But I like just to stick and pick kind of at the start with certain positions, and you know I can really lock down someone like Turbo, and then that enables me to have Cleary and Hines, but then still be able to get a gun center wing and a five eight. And I think the key thing this year, which I know you mentioned a bit in some of the past podcasts that you've done, it's going to be, which is why I changed my team today, is you're going to need backup you can't just go in with a strong 17 and have nothing on the bench not only do you have buys to deal with each week but you've also got um you know injuries suspensions all that kind of stuff it's, the suspensions are going to hurt a lot more this year especially if you know some guys miss games for COVID as well so starting with someone like tom at that price enables you to kind of split it around and if he ends up coming out and you know kills it and he goes back to that 800K value, there's a trade you've saved and one guy you've locked in where you've been able to splash that cash to someone else. So mm. that's the kind of the reason why I, I'm just going to stick and pick. Uh, I'll risk it with the injury at that price. Oh, look, it's a fair call. And when you're looking at his career, you know, he scored as a max score 100 plus against everyone bar Melbourne where he scored a 91. And he's got three sides now that he's put 200 plus on. And some of his scores are, are scary. He's gone 158 plus against six sides, seven sides. You know, he's got those massive scores in him. So I am worried. Um, and what I will say in support of owning Tom for, for round one, I would actually put him ahead of um, a Latrell Mitchell. You know, Latrell Mitchell obviously had a mad season last year and went crazy and scored heaps of points when he came back from injury. He's another one who's an injury risk, but he's, his base space attack is, is below what Tom's is. I can believe why people are jumping on Mitchell because he had such a good year last year. 
Souths don't have a hugely soft draw and he's like $300,000 more than Tom Trebojevic. So to me, it's not a $300,000 gap at all. To me, someone could argue, you know, a healthy Tom Trebojevic is better than Latrell and you've got three hundred grand in your pocket. So I would never put him ahead of Teddy. People can say that's my rooster bias. That's fine. I think the averages show that. But uh, look, Tom, as a second fullback, great option. Um, certainly a consideration. I'm going to steer clear, but I would not advise anyone else to go off him if you've got him in your side. DCE, he's the other gun for this Manly Seagull outfit. And he sort of goes under the radar a little bit, Cherry Evans. It's funny, like I always tend to look at him during a season, but very rarely for round one. He comes in this year on 693000 price tag, averaging 65.9 points last season. And again, he's very low owned at 2% ownership. Now, with Hines and Cleary, I get that. Um, I sort of feel like I've given DC a bit of a disservice by not considering him as a, as a third or fourth option in the halfback stakes, Mikey, because I've, I've you know, said guys like Sam Walker at, at 620-odd thousand. I, I quite like that if you're not going Cleary or Hines. But DCE last year, you know, 66 points a game, coming off a 79-point game average in 2021, and he's been rock solid. You know, he's gone 60-plus for half a dozen seasons in a row. And I think probably when we're going to talk about what you take away from DCE as far as the negatives, the last third of the season last year, he looked awful. And I've been a massive critic of DCE, much to a lot of Manly fans disgust. And I made the point that post-Origin, he was really terrible from the Manly side. In Supercoach, that translated, he scored 52 points a game in the final third of the season. If you look at the middle part of the season, round 11 to 18, he scored 78 points a game. And rounds 1 to 10, he scored 70 points a game. I actually think that he could be similar to last year. You could get a 70-plus score out of him um, for the initial rounds. He's also someone who, aside from being incredibly consistent, when you look at the numbers, I think it actually wows you in his consistency. He didn't go below 60 points in his first nine games of 2022. And he actually had a career best 64% of the time going 60 plus out of all his games. One of the big things with him, though, that I'll leave you on, Mikey, to put in your two cents, three of his four biggest scores last year, which were all tons, four tons, three of them were scored at Manly's home ground. He loves playing at Manly's home ground. And Manly, like I said, 70% of their games for the first third of the season are all at Brookvale. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, you also kind of go back to that 2021 season where he averaged 79 compared to 66 last year where Tom played a lot of more games. Um, you know, maybe, you know, he seems to step up when he's not in there, but if Tom can get back to his best, maybe that helps Daily Cherry Evans' games and, and scoring. Um, a guy I love to own most years. I brought him in for that last patch towards the end of the year, which I think really dropped his average. I brought him in around round 19, where he then had scores of, you know, 31, 46, 32, 28. And I, it really sunk me towards the end of that season. And, you know, am I too burnt by him to, to go him again? But for 693K, I don't think he's a bad option, but there's no way, you know, not to sugarcoat it, there's no way I could even bother looking at him with that round two buy. And, you mm. know, for me, I'm so keen on Cleary and Hines that if I was to look at another option, I prefer someone like Sam Walker to Cherry Evans. Um, he's always an option at some point. That's that's for certain, you know, for sure. But 
I just couldn't see it from the start of the season. Spend that extra 100K on Cleary. Spend the extra 200K on Hines if you need to, um, compared to just the points of where they're at in their playing careers. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I think like I would be able to look at an alternative of Daily Cherry Evans if they had a better draw. And yeah, he's a guy that can have some big scores, but he's just going to give you consistent scores with a solid or below below average draw. So you're not going to get those big ones out of him at the start with what he's got in front of him here. And he doesn't have the goal kicking either, like a Sam Walker and stuff. I really like him in draft, but unfortunately he always goes too early in draft as well. So it's one of those funny things, Mikey, where he gets no love in classic and he's actually undervalued in classic, in my opinion, because he's a lot better than what he gets owned and he's only 2% owned at the moment. He probably won't get much over 10% at most points of the season. Yet in draft, everyone grabs him really early. So you, know, you, you just can't get any value either way. Poor Daly just doesn't get owned anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good points. The fact that there's not usually for draft a very big chunk of gun halfbacks, um, you try and snatch up that position straight away. So it makes sense in a way. Yep, 100%. Look, one of their other guns last year was a breakout gun. And he was a guy that um, like everybody's got those couple of players each season where they go, oh, I missed out on that one. I made a bad decision. Ola Kawatu punished me all of last year. The entire season, he absolutely punished me. Averaged 65 points a game. It felt like he averaged like 95 points a game because that's how much it hurt. Because I just, I couldn't get him in because he got too expensive. I, I considered starting with him and ended up talking myself out of it. And I just, I, I didn't get around it. You know, the, the year before, he ended up scoring a lot of tries. And when you looked at it, you went, wow, look, his base base attack, it's not that great. Um, so the numbers actually said it doesn't translate well if he doesn't score all these tries and you sort of thought that he wasn't going to. So that was my argument against him. He actually upped his base attack significantly. So he's 16 points per game in his tackle breaks and offloads, which is sort of what you thought he could do. And I was a fan of him last preseason, don't get me wrong, because I thought that he had this in him and, and I thought it was coming. We just hadn't seen it at that level. His base was at 42, meaning that he had a 58 base base attack, which is up there in elite levels as far as uh, a guy that can also find the try line. He actually didn't score as many tries last year, um, but his base base attack helped him to a career best 65 average. Because of that, Mikey, he's going to come in and be pretty expensive, 682400 But he is only in 4% of teams. So when you were talking about pods, in the second row spot, in that 600 to 700 range, there's at least half a dozen guys that are massive, massive pods that have got huge potential. Uh, and certainly Olakwatu is one of them. When you're looking at his draw, I think it's pretty off-putting. Um, he only had the one ton last year of 112, and he only went 60 plus 52% of the time, which for a gun forward is pretty low. But he just kept producing those uh, offloads, tackle breaks, and tries consistently in games throughout the season. And obviously that back third of the season, Manly, were, were awful, as I said. He only averaged 50 in that run. If they don't have that final third of the season, say Turbo is healthy, say Seabold works, the first third of the season, rounds 1 to 10, 66 points a game. The middle third, 76 points a game. The first two-thirds of the season, up until round 18, that means he averaged over 70 points a game. And I certainly think that's kind of his uh, where he could get to. He could go up another five points a game this year. Uh, he's largely under the radar at 4% ownership. Should more people be looking at him? I, I really like him. To be honest, I was one of those guys that jumped on him very early and I, I held him basically 
to the end of the season and oh he he was just a joy to own the amount of times you would cross that line it's like kind of similar to owning Villami Kikau and you know last year was a breakout season for him I think he can get better 100 uh, percent 680k we go back to talking about Isaiah Yo again and this is a kind of like you know he's a player that I just love from the Manly Seagulls and Price very similar to him. Would you prefer to spend the extra Murray and go for someone like Cameron Murray? But yeah, maybe. But if I had to compare him to someone like Isaiah Yo, I'd prefer uh, Owakalatu at the ownership. And to be honest with you, I'd like him a lot more if their draw was a little bit better and if they didn't have that buy in the second round. Uh, you know, I could see him scoring pretty well at first one. I think he'll stay at pot ownership, you know, till that second quarter of the season. So He'll definitely stay on my radar, but, you know, you do have to, you know, fork out the bank and then you might say, well, you know, the Titans have a good draw. They don't have a buy to about round six. I think I prefer to save, or, you know, spend the same amount of money and pick up a David Fafita and I couldn't stop anyone from wanting to do that. So um, kind of similar to you, Barnsley. I, I think he's definitely an option, but I don't quite have the balls to do it. That second row, it's very stacked. I think there's a lot of guys that I can spend 100K less or even more less and get more value out of it to evenly balance my side. That's that's what I've gone for at this stage. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, I'd I prefer him over Yo as well. I, I'm expecting like a mini breakout for him, actually. I think that he could have a really good year. I, I'm rubbing my hands together for draft. I think that I'll get him at a decent spot in draft. He's on my short list in my second rowers. So... I uh, I think Olukwadi will be hugely valuable in draft. I actually think he'll have a really good year. Really, really like him this year. Um, very hard in classic. I'm not going to... If somebody has one pod in there between the, all their forwards that they're going to throw in and they decide it's Olukwadi, I wouldn't talk you out of it because I think that he's got that good upside at 70-plus average that, you know, you could get some good stuff out of him early on. I think the one thing that scared me off entirely, though, is the draw. And unfortunately for the Manly Seagulls fans... In Supercoach, that's, a, that's going to be a recurring theme this entire podcast. Uh, the round two buy kills them. But if they had a good draw around that, you'd ignore it. But then the fact that they've then got, you know, some pretty hard games in there the first couple of months, it, it just kills it. Um, Olaquadu's base and base attack was good enough last year where you can say maybe you can ignore that. But then if you own a turbo as well, it's hard because then you're going to be sitting two really highly priced guys. Talking about highly priced guys, Mikey, we need to have our... Bit of controversy thrown into the Manly side. Uh, someone who I'm going to say is a bit of a mistake. Uh, but I noticed that Des Creek, winner from a few years ago, super coach, playbook analyst, and uh, all around Manly guy, has Ruben Garrick in his team as a massive pod. I'm super against it, but Des scares me a little bit with his craziness sometimes. Um, he's actually gone up to 10% ownership, which is weird because he was. Uh, a few percent less owned a week ago. I, I think a few people are jumping on at the last minute. 742,000 as a centre wing, though. Now, I guess you can make the argument that Val Holmes is is uh, much more owned than what Ruben Garrick is. Um, he's within 20,000 of him. He's also a goal-kicking centre. I just don't see it with Ruben Garrick, but I guess the argument for him is that he is coming off 71 average without turbo for a lot of it, although I will say a lot of that he played at fullback, so you've got to take that into account. And 88 points a game in 2021, which was insane as the best centre wing in the comp. I'm sure that we all know that he's not going to get back to the 88 points a game. Uh, I think that a lot of people are discounting the fact that he played fullback a lot last year for his 71 average. So a lot of last year's numbers are, are really out the window. 
But Turbo is back feeding him. Yeah, yeah, Tur- Turbo is back. And you look back at that 2021 season and Turbo loves that sweeping play. And he did love to get a, quite a few passes out to Rupert Garrick. He loves that side. So oh, 740K, I, I tend to agree with you. But at the same time, oh, I don't completely hate it. Like I could see a world where this works. Um if you stack him up, like you mentioned to Valentine Holmes, yes, I do hate it because Valentine Holmes is 20K cheaper. The Cowboys don't have a buy to all the way in round 15 and uh, their draw is way better um, on, you know, on face value. So when you kind of compare that, I, yeah, there's, there's no way in, you know, no way in the world that I would consider getting Garrick over Valentine Holmes. And there is no way in the world that you can afford to have both of those guys in your center wing and still expect to have a well balanced side. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 absolute crazy, but at the same time, I still see him scoring a lot of tries, and I do think he will be an option at some point in the season. He's that kind of guy that you want to have in your side. He's got pretty good at the goal kicking, and as I said, he's he's going to score tries. He's definitely going to score some tries there. So uh, if he ever dips, you know, in the six hundred k mark or even below that, I'll be I'll be all over him. Yeah, and look, I think like I I want to hate it in my head more than I do when I look at it. Um, I still think it's a little bit of a mistake, but like you, I, I can see a realm of it coming off because there is a couple of little inklings of positive signs. Uh, he only scored 12 tries last year. Uh, he can definitely do better than that. Um, certainly, I don't think that he's going to score what he did in 2021. He scored 23 tries in the season in 27 games, including finals. But, you know, if, even if you look back a, a few years to 2019, he scored 16 tries. Like, certainly, he could add four tries. You know, he could score, go up from 12 to 16. That all of a sudden adds adds a bit to him as well. He's obviously a goal kicker. You don't have very many center wing options that are goal kickers. So having that in there is positive. Um, and obviously the turbo sweep plays his favorite and passing right to left, as you said, he loves it. So I think that he will score more tries. And when you look at the numbers and stuff, you go, you know what? Maybe he does have some growth. The problem is that that 71 is based on him largely playing at fullback. So I kind of think that even with the tries and stuff, maybe best case scenario is kind of, where he's at, maybe he's a 71 center wing, which is really good. And you will get him at some point, like you said, but I don't really want to pay for that round one when the draw is like it is, because likelihood is you'll average 10 points below that for the first sort of six weeks and also have a buy thrown in. And then you'll, you know, have some bigger games and get to his 71. So that's my argument against it. That's why I think that it's a bit of a mistake. Um, the draw kind of kills him. A lot of his numbers last year based on him being a fullback, but I can see some uptick in his try scoring. So, you know, he's definitely going to still be an option, Ruben, unless Manly absolutely go through the floor after a turbo injury again. Uh, Ruben will be an option even then because he'll be playing fullback. So um, a fallen gun. Mikey, on this podcast for a few years running, Jake Travojevic has been an error, a mistake, a guy to say, stay away from. And I am very pleased for Jakey because he's a nice bloke. I like him as a football player that he's now out of that category and he's now a fallen gun. And he's a fallen gun from three years ago because the last two years he's gone 50 and 56 points per game. He's getting a slight bit of groundswell about him because he's now a front row forward, second row forward dual. Huge. And only 4% ownership. A second row forward, you couldn't go near him, right? But now that he's got that front row forward status, 528,000, spoken a lot all preseason about that 400 to, to 530 type range that he's in. There's all these guys that could work out that could give you really good value and you don't have to spend in front row forward. I wouldn't normally be saying Jake Travoy, which is that, 
He's coming off a 50 average where he's playing 80 minutes a game. He's been an 80-minute player the last couple of years where he's averaged 50 and 56. That's his price point. That's It's not really good enough. Even if he goes up a few points, it's not good enough. But he is a guy who, if you have a look at the numbers and go back a little bit, 2020, he had a 56 raw base, which is nine points better than his raw base last year. 60 base base attack, uh, which is 12 points better. And... 65% of the time he went 60 plus. Last year, 15% of Gerbo's games, he went 60 plus playing 80 minutes. Obviously appalling. But that 2020 season, he also had eight games out of his 20 where he had some form of clutch attack, whether that was a try assist, line break assist, or a try. 2020, he averaged 66 points a game. And it was these little differences in his gameplay. Now, obviously, he's quite a bit older. He's going to be 30 this year. Uh, and he looks like the last two years that he was 35. And that's my big worry with him. I think that the selling point on him, though, is under a new coach in Seabold, the structure looked different in the trials. You'd expect a bit of a different brand of football. If Gerbo's not passing through before the line so much um, and he's a bit more reinvigorated, if he's fighting Tommy for some line breaks again like he used to in 2020, all of a sudden that 50 average can jump up to 58. And paying just over 500k for a front row forward, that's kind of all that you need because that's playable enough, especially in the early rounds, and it presents some value. And you know with him that he's going to be consistent if he's playing at that level. So there is actually all of a sudden an argument for an old broken down war horse in Jake Travojevic for this year. Yeah, you know, I seem to agree with you quite a bit. We've got similar minds when we think about these things. But uh, the, the front rower in Supercoach, I'm sure a lot will agree, is it's such a desolate position. It's a position where I'm trying to look for value, falling guns, and he fits the bill. I've got a couple guys ahead of him at this stage, but the fact, like, you didn't really have a look at him until he's got this draw, and then you go, well, hang on a minute. And then you have a look at how they played in the trial, and, you know, we didn't say, you know, Manly won the preseason challenge, and... They looked great. I know you can't, you know, you try not to buy too much into trials, but, you know, maybe a lot of us aren't giving the credit that, you know, Seabold can perform on this team and they're going to have a bit of a playing structure. So whether or not it's going to be a positive or a negative for all these guys we talk about, we don't know. But I do think the change of the guard in the coaching is only going to, you know, I think it'd be good for me and I think it's the right time for them to move on and, he might be the right guy for him. Uh, you know, all the points that you said, 528K, that fits a build of, you know, if you want to only for your highest price point, you know, stack him with kind of another mid-ranger. Like, that's a good price point to spend in that position. And, yeah, as you said, if he can try and develop a bit more of a ball playing, uh, you know, and combo back with his brother, um, we've, yeah, we've got a fallen workhorse that, you know, I'm going to be watching with a, you know, close telescope there and, you know, I hope he can get back to his big games. You know, everyone loves Jake Trevojevic. He's just such a – he puts his all into it. And, you know, I, I still think he can have another big battler of a season before we start to see him at the end of his career. I guess the worry for him as well, though, and we really should point out, is that uh, he got the front row forward status because uh, there's been rumblings of him maybe starting a prop. If he starts a prop, do you think that maybe he loses his 80 minutes? Yeah, you you like to think so, but it also depends on the makeup of their bench. Like, you know, no Marty to power this year. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it looks like Kepi's going to start in the lock role and then you have a look at the makeup of their bench and it's hard to work out how they're going to share their minutes. But someone like Sipley, I thought, would see an uptick in minutes with to power leaving and that could bite into Jake Trevojevic's minutes. So it's going to be a close watch on there. Does he? He need 80 minutes at prop to be relevant. Does his PPM go up a touch? Um, that's the, they're kind of the, the questions that 
you know, you're going to have to work out yourself if you're going to take a risk and start with him. But I know a lot of the guys in the ground zero and a lot of the, you know, these super coach guys that are all over him. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of made me look at him a bit deeper than what I did at first. Yeah, I'm normally against him. Um, and I'll say, if he starts a prop, I'm going to be against him. I'm not going to do it because I just don't think it's worth the risk of it. I think it's obvious that Seabold has a, a different sort of plan and maybe he doesn't play his, his 80 minutes. If he's at 13 and, you know, I'm not liking the other options as much and I want a good floor, you could take a punt on him at 13 because you know he's going to get the 80 minutes. So 80 minutes is key to me. He's got to get that. But I, I could see a bit of a rejuvenation. I just sort of cap what you're expecting because, you know, I mentioned some 2020 stats. He's not going to get back to 66 points a game, um, but you could get some improvement. Big Ball's pod. I mentioned Big Kelma Talagi. He was uh, one of my favourite buyers for the Manly Seagulls or is my favourite buyer for the Manly Seagulls. I really liked him at the Tigers. I liked him coming through. I liked the look of him. He comes in as a big balls pod for these guys because he's going to get to start in the second row forward position. I thought he looked really good in the trial. Um, but in saying that, he he's going to be 426000 So it's weird because he, he's right around that sort of Ghana price point. He's got a starting edge spot locked in, but he's only 4% owned compared to Ghana. And they're almost identical, really. Um, so it's interesting because he's coming off 40.5 point game average. Uh, and I thought when I was going to look at the numbers, it was going to tell a much better story for him, but it just didn't. And I was kind of disappointed because I really like him. So when you're having a look at him, he actually had seven games where he played 80 minutes last year for the Tigers. Only averaged 44.4 points a game. That's only four points of value there in his 80-minute games. So I guess the question is, Mikey, you know, with these young guys, you don't really know. You've only got the one season. Do we just put that down to it being that's the Tigers? Um, he only had five career games before that. He's coming in a manly side. He's going to have a lockdown 80-minute consistent role. Or is it cause for concern? Because the numbers say that, you know, it, he wasn't actually that great in his 80-minute games. He still averaged 65 minutes a game for his 41 average. Doesn't project out very well. PPM of 0.62 last year, playing 22 games. The numbers look terrible. He passes the eye test. And then you realise, even though he looks like he busts heaps of tackles, He's only got like seven base attack per game. He doesn't have any tries last year. All the eye test stuff is completely different to the numbers with him. So I'm not too sure. I've just got this feeling that he could go well for Manly, but the numbers say otherwise. Yeah, I, I, look, at the price, it's not a bad shout. Um, these are the fun parts about Supercoaches where you try and be a fortune teller and you try and predict his fortune. And, you know, you spoke about Oakalatu. You think that big season was coming. Maybe they've changed the clubs. Maybe, you know, Tuolungi could be a guy like this. Um He's going to, you know, be a lot different if he was on Oakalatu's side uh, and playing on the left. Then, you know what I mean? I might like him a bit more on there. Uh, there is a lot of contention in this second row position. And, yeah, to me, I'm not too keen on starting him. But I can see a world, obviously, you know, where he can perform quite well. Uh, he had that little bit at, towards the end of the season where he punched a, a 61, a 62 and an 82 um, from rounds 19 to round 21 and then kind of went back to what he was doing. And, you know, I think the reason why he might be so lowly owned is because, you know, he burnt a lot of bridges with a lot of super coaches last season, uh, me included. And But the thing is here, like, we know he's going to be a big talent. I definitely think he's got a big season come up at some point. Um, this system might just really work well for him. And, you know, 4% owned around that mid-ranger price, you know, it's, it could be a good one just to snag straight away. But in hindsight, if you wanted to play, a, you know, safe, 
have a little look. There's a lot of, if you've got someone that doesn't work out, then you can go down to him. We're going to constantly keep saying it with these guys, but by round two and a tough draw really makes you be a bit more cautious. And you know, talking about the Panthers and Manly today, they're going to be the two biggest talking points when you're thinking about players from these sides. So a mm. uh, bit vanilla, but that's the truth to it. Yeah, it is. And like I, I agree. I, if he was 100K cheaper, like if they limited his minutes a bit more last year, at sort of 320, 330K, I'd be pretty keen. Um, but I think that that price at 420 with the sort of guys that are available in the second row forward spot of value, uh, you, you just can't really do it. I reckon you'll get him last round of a draft, though. And last round of a draft, it could be absolutely golden. It's one of those things, though, where you, you just, you're, you're paying for potential rather than the output that we've seen so far. With the mids and value guys, now, Schuster is one of the most highly owned players at 56% ownership. It has gone down slightly because he is now ruled out for the initial game. It means he was actually ruled out for two ga- two weeks, but that's only going to be one game because he comes back round three after the bye. He was as dual secondary forward 5'8", and I've been very vocal in the fact that I'm really a big proponent of having him in your secondary forward because you have so many slots to fill there at 241,000. It makes heaps of sense to me rather than taking out a valuable, you know, halves position at 5'8". I, I was a big fan of stacking the halves. But he's now been ruled out, Mikey. He's meant to be starting at six. The only numbers that we have of him are starting in the back row, really, aside from a couple of games here and there. Most of the games in 2021 where he averaged 61 points a game, it was in the back row. Uh, he had one game where he played 80 minutes as a six there, and that was 77 points a game. He had another game where he came on and played a few less minutes than 80 and scored 46 points. And then you got to go back to his debut where he played one game in 2020 and he scored 31 points in 65 minutes. Not a lot of games at six. So we don't have a lot to go off there other than the eye test. The eye test last year was that he was a little bit unfit. He hadn't worked very hard. All that's changed and apparently he's guaranteed the six jersey for this year. All in all, none of it matters at a guy that's 240K. You just get him in, especially being a dual The problem is he's now injured. So what do you do? Uh, Normally, I would be 100% on board with, of course, you have him in your side. Don't worry about it. You know, you save the trade, all that stuff. It doesn't matter. You've got a squad of 25. This year, I'm not going to say that's wrong, but I I have actually thought about it, and I haven't decided myself for a couple of reasons. If you've got him in the second-row forward spot, there is all of a sudden a huge amount of other guys that are similarly priced that you can have in. For example, I haven't been able to fit Matt Dury in from the Parramatta Eels, who's going to be a starting edge now while Lane's got a broken jaw. He's 30K more, and he's going to play, and he doesn't have a buy until uh, later on. So, you know, that's an option all of a sudden. I can't fit in all these guys with value in the second row. So all of a sudden it starts to make sense. The other thing that makes sense is... I don't necessarily believe in Josh Schuster, the footballer, and also it's a calf injury. So, you know, what if round three comes in off the bench, especially with his versatility coming off as a back row and now going to be a six? What if he has two bench games? Then we don't start to see price rises for, you know, maybe two months until he starts getting good ones or something like that. There's a few flags there to consider. Normally, Mikey, in a normal season, you just throw him in and not worry about it. In this season, should we be thinking about it a little bit more? A hundred percent we have. It's it's a curve. Born, I saw it come from everything. Everyone just out there and goes, "Oh, why?" Um, we this is a season where we don't have a lot of those low price guys in the halves, and yeah, I definitely think due to that, it's a season to load up in your halves. 
I do believe, see, opposed to you, I do believe in Josh Schuster, the footballer, and I think if he can stay injury three, I think he's only going to enhance Manly's attack, and I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and let him prove that. Um, I'm also big on, you know, we see each year there's usually one guy that you might start with that ends up, you know, becoming a, you know, doing really well and you can save a trade that way. Um, it also, I'm not really too crash hot on the Dragons and I guess the perks are if you start with Josh Schuster and you nail, I know it's you, you try not to loop in the first round, but let's say you get a VC and he goes 150 and you want to loop, you know, you've got Josh Schuster in there. You don't have to grab one of these Dragons where you don't officially know how they're going to line up, uh, which is a bit of a trap with a team on the buy round one. You don't know what's going to happen. So, um, that's a bit of a negative, but I have to agree with you in the fact that you can't pick him at 5'8", and I did have him at 5'8", until he got injured, and due to this injury, I have altered my side, brought in a different player, switched it up a little bit, and I have him, I had a, you know, kind of like you, I had Matt Dury, but I heard a bit of news that he had a bit of a niggle, and he's not going to be fit for round one, so that got me a little bit worried, and I'm a little bit worried with certain things there. So I'd prefer to take the risk with Josh Schuster than get a guy like Ray Stone or someone like that where we don't know where their minutes are going to fall. So to me, I've gone pretty heavy in my second rows and he'd be my cheapest by like 200K. So I'm happy for him to take my sixth spot, leave him there. Mm. Uh, on the flip side, yes, I am a touch worried that he could come back. And what if Cooper Johns kills it in round one and they want to keep him there? He was great in the trials and then... He, you know, becomes a bit of a bit like, oh, I'm not sure how it's going to go, but I'm just going to, you're going to be doing plenty of risk. But at 240K, just stick with it. And at second row, if he comes back and you do somehow have to get rid of him, there are quite a few other options. But to me, I think I'm just I'm just going to stick with it for now. I'm happy with that. Yeah, and look, even if, I don't think you can go wrong with it in that he's you're going to want him in at one point. So certainly you're going to want him in at some point in the year. In saying that, you know, say Hopgood or say Matt Dory is, you know, healthy for round one. Say he comes through. Yeah, then I'll you, pick him for sure. You could very well get Dory and downgrade him. He could peak at the time that Josh Schuster is about to go up in money. And all of a sudden that's the perfect swap. Um, so I would I would consider that could be a scenario. Um, and I'm thinking about that at the moment. So I'll look at my op- options and see. But I definitely don't think it's straightforward. Mikey raises a great point about the loop, though. If you've got 25 runners, which you probably should, unless you have some dragons in your side that you really believe in, the loops are going to be really hard to do in the early rounds. And, you know, if you've got Schuster for a couple of weeks of looping, you've still got a score to 24. You believe he's going to come back and start at six and, yeah, may as well keep him there and save the trade then. There's a few other guys that, that might come through. We're not going to talk about the real cheapies uh, like Kum Tong and uh, Weeks. Weeks I really like to some of these young manly guys that could be really good. But these guys, if they get named, then you consider them. They're not probably going to get named round one anyway, so we'll stick clear. But obviously Marty for power's gone. We've got a new coach. And there looks like there might be some room in the middle. It's always contentious. Who's going to be the starting front rowers for Manly? Look, I had a look at some of these guys. Certainly, I had a look at Kepi, and I was hoping that Kepi was going to be better than what he was. He may very well get the start. Um, the problem with Sean Kepi is, like, he's coming off a 26 average in 2022, playing 32 minutes. And you look at it and go, well, he averaged 40 points per game, playing 47 minutes in 2021. So could we get that? Now, 40 points per game isn't very playable, um, and you, you you would not want him as your second front row forward. 
but all of a sudden you look at it and go, well, you know, he could he could average that, and all of a sudden that's 14 points of value on his price point. So you're looking for value in some of those front forward spots. He's only 274,800, and someone like Sean Kepi is actually a jewel, um, second row forward, front row forward, which is handy. He could be someone, Mikey, that's better than, say, a very popular Hetherington, especially if he gets that starting jersey, then suddenly he comes into calculations. If you have a look at it, he's he had 16 starts in 2021 where he averaged uh, over 48 points a game. That's really impressive in 2021. And you're considering that 48 points a game is going to be 22 more per game than what he's priced at. There could be some value there. A hundred percent. I've got him as my third front row at this stage. I do believe that he's going to start at either lock or front row. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be lock, but by the look of it in the trial, that could be a chance. Um, I really thought Paseko was going to be kind of on the winners, but it kind of looks like maybe Kepi will be. And look, if you're someone like myself, really considering, you know, starting as a Tokamano as my second front row and really utilizing, not spending too much there, you don't want to go to absolutely, like, let's just say, you know, let's say Pele gets a spot on the bench and you go Pele and Mole. I think someone like Kepi is handy to have because if he's got a starting spot and you believe he's going to get around that 40-minute mark and that's a 40 points, when one of these other front rowers are on a bar, if something happens and you've got to play him, you don't want to have to chuck in a guy there that's paying 20 minutes and could only get, you know, 25, 30 points. You want someone that you believe is underpriced, can make a bit of value and kind of make a bit of a dead position give you a little bit more hope and um that's what i believe kepi can do so at this stage uh, unless i need the extra 30 40k i think he's a handy backup front rower uh, rather than carrying two kind of guys that you believe are going to be a really really slow burn not saying that kepi isn't but i believe he'll be if a bit faster than some of those guys yeah, Hopefully. I hate the bench front rowers, and this is a year yeah, where you just right. can't do it to yourself because you don't want to end up playing them. And you're going to have guys on buys, and you're going to end up having to play someone. And that's probably the risk with Kepi. Like, he's going to be better than all those guys. But if you put yourself in a position where you know that you're going to have to play him, um, there's a chance that he's, you know, a low score. You might get a 35 to 40 out of him the couple of times you play him. That could happen. But there is some upside. He has PPM of 0.82 to a 1 in his last four years. That's a pretty good range for him. So you can basically expect, hopefully, if he gets 45 minutes, it's going to be 42 to 45 points a game, and that's pretty serviceable. Huge value there, though. You're definitely going to make money out of it, and I like him better than Hetherington because I think Hetherington's going to be on the bench. Kepi, if he's starting at 13 or even at prop, you're going to get more guaranteed minutes out of that. Mikey. That is the podcast. Mammoth one, Panthers and Manly. It has been a pleasure getting you on. Mikey from the Super Coach Experience. Make sure you go and listen. Mikey, thanks for jumping on. It's been a blast chatting to you about Super Coach. Uh, thanks for having me on. I always look at your podcast and such long episodes. And I know with the way we both chat on our podcast, I, I knew we were in for a big one, mate. But um, uh, thanks for having me on. And it was, yeah, it was a pleasure to chat about these two teams. So good luck in the season, mate. No problem. Good luck to you too, Mikey. And if you haven't ever watched or listened to the Super Coach Experience, boys, Go and do that. Check them out on YouTube. You can also listen on Spotify, but uh, they've got the live shows on Facebook and everything. They've been doing that stuff for years. It's hugely entertaining, great super coach content. But for this podcast, make sure you check us out on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, as well as Amazon. Hit subscribe on those. you get the episodes straight away. We're busting out five or six episodes this week, so it's going to be a hugely busy week. But as always, jump on Twitter too, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. You can follow us there. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for the support. 
Can't wait for the next episode to drop any day now, and we'll chat some more footy real soon. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.